0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: What is up? Welcome to episode 20 of Pog Prescription. I'm your host, GamerDoc. Episode 20, another milestone. Another milestone for us. We're one, one episode away from legally being able to drink in the United States. I'm really looking forward to that. And it's another great one because we have something that involves me coming a little bit full circle in esports. Our guest today is Danny Engels, the Director of Gaming Excellence at Evil Geniuses. I recently took a position with Evil Geniuses as their health and wellness and performance consultant, so having him on the show... Makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. So before we get to Danny, I want to talk about something that I actually learned today. So most of the stuff that we talk about on this show, you understand, right? You understand on some point, that's the thing about consultants. We're really good at making ourselves sound smart by putting names to things that everyone already kind of understands, By by putting a name to it. We seem like the expert. Look out for that trick next time you talk to a consultant. I was watching a video about Michael Phelps today, and I was watching a replay of his 2008 Beijing Olympics 200-meter butterfly run. Go take a look at it. It's really interesting because it's Michael Phelps. He's in his prime. He's the most decorated Olympian of all time. He has more Olympic medals than, I believe, 181 countries, there's not that many countries you guys there's not that many one countries so he's he's a big deal he knows what he's doing but what's interesting about this race is he pulls off his goggles at the end he's won it he's won a gold medal and he's also won earned a world record and he's pissed he pulls off his goggles you can see it in his face he's pissed imagine winning a a gold medal and setting a world record and being upset now the reason why he was upset was because he was having issues with his goggles and his goggles filled up in this match and he could not see for the last 75 meters right so only 125 meters he could see 75 meters he couldn't see you know what happens when i try and read a book and someone clicks a pen or i try and read a book and someone's chewing gum I just completely break down, can't focus. Imagine having burning chlorinated water in your eyeballs as you're trying to do the butterfly. Ah he set the world record like that, right? It's because he has resiliency. Another example of this was Tiger Woods. So Tiger Woods, if you watch the documentary about him, it's so good. But if you look at from when he's a very young age, when he's swinging, when he's he's putting, his dad's messing with him. His dad is jingling his keys in his pockets. He'd go golfing with his friends and his dad would, you know, his dad would be talking during his backswing and it, and his buddies would look at his dad and be like, "What are you doing?" Like in golf you you can, you're not supposed to talk during someone's backswing. It's very proper. We Take ourselves very serious on the golf course. And he encouraged it. He's like, "No, no, no. Tiger has to learn how to swing." when people are messing with him. Tiger has to learn how to zone everything out when he's playing golf and only focus on the game. And if you look at Tiger Woods, he didn't break down in those situations in the early career. It didn't matter what people were saying to him. He always performed his game in his early career. Now you talk to Michael Phelps about that swim, that infamous swim. You ask him you know, you could talk to Michael Phelps and ask him probably, yeah. If you look at the interviews and you ask him, they ask him, what what was going through your mind? And he's like, well, I, you know, it was annoying, I was upset, but I had trained for that. And going are like, what, what do you mean you had trained for that? He's like, I visualize every night what it's like to swim my race. I imagine what it's like to swim my race from my perspective. I imagine what it's like to swim my race from a spectator's perspective, from an opponent's perspective. And then I imagine what it's like if something goes wrong, if my swimsuit rips, right? If I hit some turbulence in the water from an opponent doing something stupid, if I get water in my goggles. He had practiced what would happen if he got water in his goggles hundreds and hundreds and thousands of times. So when it happened in the competition, it didn't phase him because he had been there before. And that is where confidence comes from confidence comes from preparation confidence comes from practice right so there's another story i was in my michael phelps hole of research and i came across an interview with his university of michigan swim coach and they're talking about practice and the importance of practice and he was talking about how when he was at the olympics he was watching a figure skating finals and there and there were two athletes who were you know really the contenders for gold and silver and the American team. Coach comes over to the to the girl as she's getting prepared and says, you've practiced your whole life for this. Everything you've been doing has been leading up to this moment. We've, we've been waiting four years for this moment. Now's your time to go out there and shine. And I'm sure that coach was trying to be very inspirational, but think about what that just did that person. Oh my God, I've been spending my whole life for this moment. This moment right here that's coming up And I, and everything rides on this moment and I need to perform the very, very best I can, or it's all for nothing. When you focus on outcomes, you lose confidence in the process, right? Because when you focus on outcomes, a lot of things that are outside of your variable, outside of your control, you can't address those. What happens if the judge doesn't like you? hmm? What happens if the judge read an article about you and is going to score you a little bit lower? What happens if your opponent just does better? The only things you can control are how well you prepared for a moment and how you perform in that moment. If you focus on the outcomes, you've already lost. And if you listen to high-performing athletes, high-performing coaches, they all say the same thing. Focus on the process, right? So then this guy's like, okay, and I watched the Russian athlete coach come over to his player and say hey make sure you keep your toes straight on that first jump I don't know anything about figure skating so that keep your toes straight Topic. I don't know anything about figure skating leave me alone and he says he gives her that one technical thing to focus on a thing that she's practiced thousands and thousands and thousands of times And thus feels confident in executing. Ah, keep my legs straight. All right. All right. I'm going to think about that. I'm going to keep my legs straight. Here's how I do it. Here's what I do. Going into that competition, into that skate, that's what she's thinking about. She's not thinking about, holy crap, if I mess this up, everyone is going to be talking about it, right? You take an anxious athlete, you just made them more anxious. You take an anxious athlete, you just made them focus. That is the way we need to talk to each other. That is the way you need to talk to yourself. Focus on the process, not the outcomes. If you're going into a big business meeting, practice. Practice what you're going to say. Practice what people are going to say back to you and how you're going to respond. And when you go into that meeting, say, okay, I really need to focus on making eye contact and not using filler words like like and um, because those make me sound stupid. right? Think about the things that you need to focus on and be confident in your preparation. Because if you're confident in your preparation, in your practice, No one can take that away from you. Nothing is going to change. It doesn't matter if you're playing me in League of Legends or Faker. The way you play shouldn't change. The way you play is going to be directly impacted by how good you are at the game based on how well you've practiced. And that is what we need to bring to gaming, right? Resiliency, practice, confidence in practice. And that's what I have for you for our lovely intro, but before we get to the director of gaming excellence, let us talk about the POG RX. If you want the play of the game, what do you got to do? What do you got to do? Well, you got to practice, but here's one tip that will make you better at video gaming if you do it today. Here it is your POG RX. Numbness, tingling, and hand pain got your gaming down. Check yourself for carpal tunnel syndrome with this simple, easy at home test. Place the back of your wrists together and hold this position for 60 to 90 seconds. A positive test is pain, numbness, or tingling in these first three digits. It may go up the forearm as well. Another easy test is what's called Tinel's test. What you're going to do is you're going to find the spot between the two bones of your wrist. These should be really easy to feel. And in between, there's a meatier portion that doesn't feel bony. What you're going to do is just lightly tap on that region positive test is numbness and tingling in the first three digits of the hand. So if that is the case, talk to your doctor about carpal tunnel syndrome. Fun fact, y'all, I actually have a big folder of X's, So when I intro the videos, I don't know what the video is going to be until the editing phase. So that's why it's always kind of generic. And that is something that you learned on episode 20 that I will never mention again. All right, time to get to our Our guest is Danny Engels. Danny is the Director of Gaming Excellence at Evil Geniuses. He previously served as the Head of Esports at G2. Ever heard of him? He also has a degree in Applied Mathematics and is a former professional level sim racer. Danny, welcome to the show. How are you doing today?
2: Thanks for having me. I'm doing fantastic. How are you?
1: I'm good. I'm pumped. I'm ready to talk about this stuff because you and I had started a conversation like this off air and i really was like oh god i have to have danny on the show so, so we can come yeah. talk about it so you kind of know what's coming maybe um, so a little bit a little bit a little bit um so you were like i said in your intro you were that you are currently the director of gaming excellence and evil geniuses previously the head of esports at g2 um but prior to that you were actually a pro gamer yourself can you tell us a little bit more about that
2: Yeah, correct. I go back all the way to, I would say, 2006, 2007, um, have been a sim racer back in the day. So a bit of a niche in esports, but especially during COVID times, it became more popular with uh, virtual Grand Prix and Formula One, NASCAR, all jumping on this. So this is what I have been doing in the past. I'm still a little bit active in the scene. Uh, Before I joined the e I was still running the so-called now Red Bull Racing esports project and therefore have seen the in and outs of sim racing probably across 15 years now.
1: Wow. that's really cool and you're selling yourself short because you actually were uh the we won the intel racing tour and you were second place finisher at esl pro league if i my internet stalking is correct
2: (laughs) right i won a couple of national titles i think the Intel racing tour was the most significant one because i actually won a bmw m6 the real car back in the days which was a huge deal for esports right which also has put me a bit into the mainstream of esports as a racing game player i was part of sk gaming back in the days Therefore I also have seen quite a lot from eSports in general and kinda of built my knowledge from there. And yeah, I went on competing in, in international titles as well. Um most significantly probably the ESWC back in the days, one of the most prestigious eSports world championships, including other titles as well, outside of racing.
1: I love it. So that was back in, you know, two thousand and seven. Like so when you were training back then uh, how is it different? What were you doing to train back then? And how is it different from how people are training now for sim racing?
2: It's super different. Back in the days, obviously, the games also weren't as realistic when you think about the simulation, right? So I typically found myself just screwing my wheel on my, on my office desk, uh, sitting in an Alma chair, and then just taking it away, um, having some fun, and spending a lot of time to become good. So it was a lot of try and error, especially if you think about it. The games were somewhat realistic to the point where you had to set up your car with different options. And you just had to try a lot of things to really find out, okay, what works in the game and what doesn't work. So before tournaments, I remember back ESWC in particular, I probably spent like 11, 12 hours a day for like two weeks straight to figure out how to prepare for the cars and tracks that we were given to prepare on, right? So this was back in the days, just the grind that you had to, to go through to be as good and as prepared as possible. Nowadays, it's a whole different world, and I respect that quite a bit because it definitely teaches me also quite a bit for esports in general. Um, I think sim racing has learned a lot from the traditional sports, traditional motorsports, and I currently see talents going as deep as looking into their telemetry, uh, looking into game physics because sometimes the real world is different than the in-game physics and try to really analyze how you are fast or how to become fast in a more efficient way and I think that's a natural process that eSports goes through. Once you start to master a game, you need to squeeze out this one additional percent of efficiency to be at the very top.
1: So for sim racing, they have the luxury of, you know, the real sport existing, millions and millions of dollars being focused on player, you know, development of the driver, so they can take that analogy and apply it to sim racing, use similar things that those people are doing. But when you look at the rest of esport, if you look at like League of Legends or CSGO or Dota, we don't have like a real world analogy of those games. So it's like, oh, how do I get better at my character, you know, throwing a sword hundred meters in back? You can't really look at the real world analogy like that. So have you seen any integration of what the sim racers are doing in esports at all with in terms of performance, you know, as the head of gaming excellence?
2: We're definitely getting there. I think that's uh, the next step in esports, especially on the performance side that we will be seeing. Because as I said, especially the games that have been around for a long time and you master the fundamentals, Mm -hmm. like how can you become better? It's probably exactly that next step to really look at the game objectively. Because right now, if you think about coaches, and that probably was the the last couple of years development where esports started to, to value their coaches and analysts, But most of them basically acted subjectively and really on their own experience and their gut feeling. Um, I think now it's time to take the step further and support those coaches and the players to really look at the game objectively with the data behind and show them why certain things are a certain way, which they maybe already believe in anyhow, because it goes back to them playing the game nonstop. They will create knowledge and habits that already work in the game. That's why they're good. But we in EG especially want to really back this up with data and showing them, okay, what you do there actually makes sense. But if we find the one percentage of a gameplay that doesn't work out, we can actually back you up with the science behind and the data behind and teaching you how to act differently and potentially take better decisions.
1: I love it. So you're talking about the role of the coach kind of evolving, going from someone and analyzing and, and giving recommendations subjectively versus objectively. You've seen a lot of coaches in your career. You've managed coaches. You've been under the, you know, uh, the high the sight of a coach. Who, in your mind, was one of the best coaches in esports, and why?
2: <laughs> You're putting me on the spot. That's a trick <laughs> question. Um, I okay. There are multiple layers to this question mm-hmm. because coaches can be so so much different. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I highly respect grabs as a coach in league of legends um because he has been put in a tough spot where he had a super team basically with players that probably understood the game better than he did but his role was still impactful because someone still has to control this group of five intelligent players and really steer them into one direction right yeah. so that's definitely a skill set that a coach has to have and also needs to have moving forward even if we look deep on the data Because sometimes you also have to trust your players over one thing or the other. It's not all about data. You have to take decisions uh, holistically. And that's the type of coach that you then need that really can consolidate these great minds of players in your team.
1: Yeah.
2: I think process-wise... Hmm. I really like Bulba. I need to work with him a bit more. I also like Peter. Peter Dunn and EG quite a lot, I think. These are the types of coaches I'm looking forward to work with more and more because they are so logically turven and structured. And this is also the Valens uh, from former Counter-Strike coach, now head of data science and EG, in as well, because they all help us striving forward. This innovation of not only being the coach that is a cheerleader behind the team, keeping the motivation up and steering conversation and helping subjectively. It's also this innovation of actually driving this objectively. And this is where we yeah. need the input from the coaches and help to, to develop this.
1: And I think as esport develops and more support services get put into organizations, you know, 10 years ago, the coach was the analyst and the assistant coach and the performance coach and sometimes the director of gaming. And now we're we're kind of specializing our roles a little bit more and we're seeing the role of the coach evolve. And I think at that in esports, has been overlooked by some teams and some organizations where they do need to be able to motivate and guide the team. Right, like you said, that the the players might know the game better than the coach, but that's okay. If you look at the great coaches in traditional sports, they're the ones who can who can have people find their purpose and work together towards the same goal. But then also take feedback. That is objective, scientifically driven from everyone around them and steer people in that direction as well. It's, I feel like it's just such a, a fine little balance, but it's people like you who have a mathematics background and a personal background are able to kind of bring those fields together, I feel like.
2: Yeah, we totally have to acknowledge the fact how much data we have to process in esports, right? It's Then also tying me back to sim racing. Sim racing is pretty straightforward, you don't have these patches every two weeks or regularly that actually changes the, the game fundamentally and that allows you to, to, to look deeper into the the deep end of the game, so to say, right? Um, so that's definitely a challenge in itself. If the game refreshes every two weeks, the work you put in on the data side might be redundant at that point, um, but that's also then finding the right process. And as you said, I think coaches right now are heavily focused on a macro aspect of the game trying to put the five players, if it's a five men or women roster, um, together into one direction. But I think we overlook the impact, what it could have really working individually with the athletes as well and spending time one-on-one really focusing on developing the weaknesses of these pro athletes because I still believe even the best of the best can still be improved at this point in time. And they just need to support from the outside. They can also only do so much. And we obviously appreciate want to have them focus on the game as much as they can. So the more we can actually support them, the better the support stuff will have an impact on the team.
1: I, I love that thought. I read a quote today that I that just reminded me of that said, you're not um, doing worse because you're overtraining. You're doing worse because you're under-recovering. And these, this player development aspect... Um, these players getting better you know we're, we're training so much right like back in the day you were training 12 13 hours a day some players still do that these days and sometimes aren't focusing on recovery and that gets in the way of their development because you know you if you go for a run you have to wait for your muscles to recover if you exercise your brain really aggressively your brain needs time to recover it needs time to clear out the waste products, bring in fresh glucose, fresh oxygen. Um, So, like, having player development is just so complicated. It's so intricate and complicated. And like you said, one thing might make them 1%, .1 0.1% better, but that's what's going to put them ahead of their competition, right? Because everyone's so good at gaming right now.
2: I absolutely agree. And I I think of Counter-Strike immediately with a circuit where you travel 200-plus days a year, you need to to manage the energy. Yeah. That's a simple fact. You want to peak during the majors, so potentially sacrifice a little bit in practice and preparation for the one tournament to really then have the focus on when you want to achieve the greatest things with your team.
1: So speaking of the travel associated with Counter-Strike, at what point does it become, like right now it's the player's problem and it's the organization's problem because they're the ones having to coordinate travel and blah, 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 blah. But what point does it, go to the developer where it says hey maybe traveling 240 something days a year isn't healthy like isn't good for the scene in general do you think that's ever going to be a thing that happens or am i just like wishing the best
2: really heading in that direction um i think it's worth clarifying (laughs) counter-strike that it's not the the developer or publisher working with us because we have edition tournament organizers that basically work with us in this case eslm plus that eg is partner team of and we already are in active conversations to see how we can create continental swings, for example, where you have a whole quarter just in North America, so you don't travel back and forth between Europe and North America. Um, but you can imagine it's a challenge because at the end of the day, ESL is trying to run a business, Blas is trying to run a business, they're competitors ultimately. Um, but I still appreciate everyone's effort to make this a more holistic circuit and really get the most out of this because we are only stronger the more we work together. Yeah. And we are still in the early stage of esports, right? If we want to grow this further, then we need to establish this foundation to make it even more successful. So yeah, it's going in the direction, but it will definitely take more time. And it goes back to also learning how teams then lear- or learn and and work with it, right? Like everyone still is in the process of actually understanding how training that circuit is on a player, how we fight burnout, how we support players mentally, and on the development side, how we also allow ourselves to to develop talents in such an environment because you can't simply slot them in into tier one scene. So there's a whole different level of structure behind that as well that also needs to be considered.
1: I think sometimes even I forget that, sometimes that we're in the early stage of eSport. We just see the, we see what's going on right now and, and I just want it to be somewhere else. And I'm like, I'm like let's push it forward. But it's, it's so, if you look at early hockey, right? Like some of the earliest televised hockey, it looks nothing like it looks today. You know, the goalies had no masks on as in which I'm sure would have been bad for you. The rules were different. The, you know, there there's been such a development of, of the game of hockey over the years. And obviously esports is going to have that same kind of development as well. But when you're in it, it, it's sometimes hard to think about that. Or am I the only one? Who, yeah, Cause it's just, I want the, I want the fields to progress and, and do everything, but it's sometimes it's nice to just sit back and be like, oh, we're in our infancy right now and we're figuring things out and we get to figure this out together. That's what's so cool about being in this industry.
2: Yeah, we're definitely shaping where esports is heading to 100%. <laughs> um, and that's what I I, am so excited about in Virginia, Genius because you just, you just mentioned, like I came over from G2 Esports, a great place to be in as a head of esports, but... EG excites me so much because we have this long-term vision of really building something that no one, at least my feeling right now, no one truly thinks about with the player development and looking deeper into the game to really have this foundation set up five, ten years down the line, hopefully earlier, so that we can see the success, obviously. But it is definitely a long-term project that, especially I as the director of gaming excellence, so the excellence part kicks in (laughs) in the long-term vision, right? So um, we're definitely trying to innovate here and see the game through a whole different angle than most coaches players potentially see and we just need the coaches and players that follow our thoughts and really believe into okay this is to creator good this will make them more successful and therefore hopefully get them to hosting trophies at the end of the day yeah
1: i love it i love it all right denny last question i'm going to put you on the spot again i'm sorry but the name of this show is pog prescription so if you were to write down on a prescription pad one thing that aspiring eg pros could do to make them better at gaming one thing only this isn't medical advice from your history (laughs) from your experience what would it be
2: Young talents in particular should walk around the world. That's even a life lesson, not only for eSports, but walk around the world with open eyes and really try to understand and soak up things that you want to understand or that you should understand. Like Just be open-minded to whatever comes your way and don't be narrow-sighted because you just limit yourself and the abilities to develop and grow even further. So I think having an open mind and being um, open for new ideas, that's probably what will help you quite a lot when developing.
1: Yeah. And it's I completely agree with you. It's wild in in a area where new patches are coming out constantly. You constantly have to change the way you play. That that's still a thing that people don't have, right? You think that from from the patch nature of things, people will be like, "Oh, okay, I got to do something new now." But I completely agree with you. I think it's one of the one of the most awesome things and and one of the most effective things as a gamer and as a person. Right? Yeah. Cool. Well, Danny, thank you so much for coming on the show. Your Twitter handle has been below you this whole time, so if you like what Danny says, go follow him on Twitter. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for being here and looking forward to crushing the future of esports with you.
2: Likewise. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in as well.
1: Danny Engels, the Director of Gaming Excellence, former head of esport at G2, and former professional sim racer, wants you to keep an open mind, y'all. If he says it and you want to be a pro gamer... Maybe listen. But it's hard because you have to have an open mind to take that advice. So it's like a catch-22 a little bit. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe try it. Maybe try it. Try it with a closed mind. Try it. Try to have an open mind with a closed mind. Medicine. That is it. Episode 20 of Rx. I am your host, Gamer Doc. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this show. For more information, follow GamerDoc on Twitter at GamerDoc underscore. And please remember, nothing in this video is medical advice. Yes, I am a doctor, and yes, you may need help. But this is the internet, and this is for entertainment and informational purposes only. Thank you, and have a very nice day.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.